We've talked about defaults before, but we mean it this time on this energy edition of Industry Focus. Greetings, fools. I am Sean O'Reilly, joining you here from Fool Headquarters in Alexandria, Virginia. It is Thursday, November 12th, 2015, and joining me to talk about all things energy and materials is Tyler Crow and Taylor Muckerman. What is the good word, boys? Almost all things. Almost, Almost all things. things. Yeah. There's some things we just We're going to talk about, about all the things in 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Solve uh, everyone's portfolio issues in 20 minutes. All from this 20 by 20 room in Alexandria, Virginia. Um, so, uh, first segment that I wanted to touch upon with you guys was, uh, and David Gardner, yeah, of course. He's to yeah, he's us. here too. Um, oil's still in the 40s. Uh, things are not looking good for 2016. Um, we talked about defaults before, but is every company but Exxon and Chevron going to go under before this is over? That might be pushing it just a little bit. <laughs> I, I like to speak in hyperbole that, for that comedic is, effect. That is quite the hyperbole, but um, that things, would solve everyone's problems in would. twenty minutes or less. <laughs> Cure for low prices is low prices, baby. <laughs> um, you know, we talked about this. What was it? Maybe two months ago. January. Yeah. We, well, we've talked about it. Oh, a lot. yeah. We talked about it in November. We talked about it in January. We've talked about it in March. But um, we mean it this time, darn it. <laughs> I think one of the reasons that. We haven't seen that reaction of defaults and people getting in financial trouble. Is well, in all honesty, two things. One, I think a lot of people expected oil prices to be a little bit more robust than they are right now. I mean, if we go back to November, December, you hear all these, you know, wildcatter style CEOs and guys like Pickens and stuff like that. We'll be at seventy by. In six months or end of the year, end of the year, we're back at seventy, and you know everybody kind of hung on to that and be like, okay, we'll get through this. This sucks, but we'll get there. And we're what, you know, forty five, almost Thanksgiving, forty five, yeah. fifty days from the end of the year, and we're still below fifty. Um, it's starting to really weigh on a lot of these people who thought they could weather a short term storm, and well, that storm is a little bit longer than they expected. Um, and so many of these players that we had talked about we we knew they were going to be in trouble when oil prices were low you just you looked at their balance sheets you saw they had taken out a ton of debt you know but at the same time i guess they just held on for a little bit longer than everybody expected i guess people are more resilient in that fact where they want to say we'll hang on we'll hang on we can make it through but you know well and the other reason that pain hasn't been quite felt is hedges of course that has helped to a certain degree um there's a lot of companies that have that in place, especially when you look at, like, let's say Master Limited Partnerships that are in production. They have those hedges to kind of steady out their cash flows. But at the same time, there's a lot of people who didn't have that and have right. just, you know, had to slash their capital budgets, their operating expenses down to the absolute floor to make it as profitable as possible. Some have been able to achieve some marginal level of profitability, which is quite commendable. But at the same time, when you, you know, again, going back to their ability to pay off debts, it's getting a little bit harder. I think some of the people that are facing these defaults probably didn't utilize hedges that much because they were those guys that were just saying, why are we going to forego profits now with these silly hedges? This is just going to crimp our returns now. Who knows what the future holds? What if oil prices stay at $150? These hedges are going to just... They're going to ruin our stock price. Was it Harold Hamm that cashed in his hedges a year ago now? Yeah, right about. Yeah. <laughs> so, like I said, um, you know, looking at these companies, you're, you're talking about some names of 
that were really popular names among investors, among the energy inner circles uh, during the last you know four to five years of the boom leading up to the no- November of last year. And now all of a sudden their debt is essentially worthless. Um, at least that's what they're predicting in the next few months. Penn, Virginia, I think, um, is coming up on some covenants. Magnum Hunter Resources, uh, they mentioned in the report that Tyler sent around, is basically already defaulting. Um, and those those two companies, while they're not huge, they're only domestic EMPs, but those were some hot stocks. Those mm-hmm. were very, very popular, and now they're they're reaching... So was it oil was, at forty five just because everybody's been holding on it's like below forty five right now? Well, yeah, it's, it's forty two, forty three. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is just you're know, holding on. I mean, you see inventories it's, continue to creep up, but production's falling. Like it's just people just putting it there because they don't want to sell it at forty five. Well, I mean, again, to these companies, they have to generate cash to you know pay these loans off to a certain bit, so they can't just shut off the taps. Especially like you said, Penn, Virginia, right. Magnum Hunter, Magnum guys. Hunter. It's the, re- they, the article said that they have debt coming up this month that they can't pay. Oh, geez. Yeah. So. so you know these companies, they can't turn off. They can't just you know stop producing because they need cash now. It's like those you know those dumb annuity commercials right. they always see. I need cash now. But um, <laughs> right right now, there's just too many of them if out there. If only there was a payday lender for oil companies. <laughs> there were. And now, now and they were. Yeah, it was, it's called Wall Street. <laughs> there were. Now it's gotten to the point where not even payday lenders will toss them a bone. Um, and so with those people that aren't in that flexibility to say, well, we can't, we just can't stop drilling or, you know, we can't stop producing, that it, it, it kind of has compounded the issues that we have seen so far. I mean, obviously, you've got some of the larger, more well-capitalized companies, the EOG Resources, ConocoPhillips, people like that, who have you know scaled back and said, we can, you know, even though some of them are more profitable at much lower prices today, they're still scaling back and saying, you know, we can take our foot off the accelerator for a little while. And, and that's not because they're smart now. It's because they were smart before. They, right. they weren't taking on these crazy right. amounts of debt. Um, they weren't drilling out of control. Um, it's it's kind of a domino's effect here with these companies that they're able to do this because they were smart five to ten years ago when they were first realizing that this is a gold mine, but it's not going to last forever because, hey, the energy industry it's is a cyclical. cyclical business. Yeah, they, they got it, and some companies that didn't are – it's evident every time the bottom hits or becomes comes close, some companies just – didn't have the experience or the or the wherewithal to, to kind of pace themselves, yeah. and certainly as investors and you know people like us, that that couple couple of years before it was kind of one of those starry eyed sort of moments where you know we looked at it and said we can take control of the market back where we can you know produce all of what our own oil and energy independence, and energy independence, and seeing these companies. They were just growing at gangbuster-like levels, you know, almost doubling production every year. It, it it sweeps you up. It really does as an investor. And you see all these companies that are just growing so fast and you want a piece of that. But at the same time, again, going back to the fact that it's a cyclical business, if you're an investor in the space, I, certainly a lesson I learned in some ways the hard way from this one is that we have to – be measured in our approach throughout this entire through the down market and through the up markets. You know that last one, we all got caught up in it, and it probably burned quite a few people. And today, at the same time, 
don't overlook the fact that there's a lot of value in buying solid energy companies today. You know, don't just get burned back then and now today completely go away from energy because there are some opportunities out there. And when this market does turn, it will eventually. Yeah. When it does, you will have some I think there's a great opportunity for some long-term rewards. Uh, so before we move on, just bottom line, it seems like company, some companies got to die for production to really drop. I mean, is that basically what we're saying here? The crematories are firing up their furnaces. Okay, yes. that's dark. But Using true. oil dark, to fire up their furnaces. <laughs> cheap, no, no, cheap no, no, oil. natural gas. Is the <laughs> either way, either way, they're both cheap. Before we move on, I wanted to point our listeners to a newly redesigned focus.fool.com. There you'll discover a special offer to join the Motley Fool Stock Advisor newsletter for all industry-focused listeners. All Loyal IF listeners have access to a special discount on Stock Advisor that works out to $129 for a full two-year subscription. Just go to focus.fool.com to take advantage of this offer. Once again, that is focus.fool.com. And uh, moving on to our second segment, I'm here with Tyler Crow and Taylor Muckerman. Um, oil majors have, uh, you know, what you're talking about the balance sheet of Exxon is like the the least cash, but they have forty billion dollars or something. Well, that and ago. then all the stock that they have, yeah, the, the treasury stock, yeah, the right? treasury stock. Yeah. Um, so oil majors have cash to spend, but they haven't been making a ton of acquisitions. And then you know, the devastation in the oil industry has been going on for over a year now. Um, do you guys think they'll actually start shopping at some point? Well, I think we talked about it a little while ago as well when we were talking about Exxon's cash balance that they kind of need that cash in order to sustain dividends in order right. to because if if not cash from operations isn't going to sustain that if oil is in the $40 range and Exxon is addicted to the share buyback so they'll have to cut that even more if if so um so the cash has kind of been held as a necessity um obviously if these companies start going bankrupt like we've talked about in the previous segment there's going to be some opportunities. Um, and these companies that are failing aren't necessarily failing because they have terrible assets. They're failing because right. they were run terribly. Um, so th- they're going to be out there for the cheap. And, and yeah, it, it, there will come a point where Exxon and, and the like decide, I think we have enough to sustain our dividend for the next year or so. Let's go ahead and spend, not a couple, not a, like 10 to $20 billion, but let's go out and spend you know, or $500 million, yeah. a billion here and there, to go ahead and pick up some lucrative assets in Texas or the, or the uh, Utica Basin or something along those lines. They're not going to reach with this cash. They're going to be safer bets that yeah. are, are very cheaply valued, Cause, in my mind. Yeah, and I mean, I think this is on everybody's minds again now because we just heard the recent uh, talks of uh, – there was a story came out on Bloomberg that uh, Apache – had been courted by somebody. no small company, mind you. Right. No small, yeah. I mean, they're they're a pretty they're formidable sized company. Yeah. So when we heard when you hear somebody of the size of Apache getting acquired, you know everybody's fingers immediately playing. Oh, it's going to be Chevron. Oh, it's going to be Exxon. It has to be one of these guys because they're the ones that have right. capital. Uh, surprisingly, it came out that it was actually Anadarko Petroleum that did it. So now that that has happened, it just goes back to everyone talking about big oil. Oh, well, they've got the cash. They've got the treasury stock. It must be those guys. You know, When are they going to make their move? And we've been wondering that for a long time. We looked at it and said, oh, these companies are so cheap. And some of them are really looking distressed. They could get them on the cheap. But at the same time, the situation hasn't exactly improved from right. you know back in February, March to today. And if you listen to you know the conference calls of the companies that we're talking about here, ExxonMobil, BP, all of them are still kind of preaching that idea that, hey, guys, we could be in this 
for a lot longer than um than you know some of these wildcatters being like oh we'll be back in six to eight six to twelve months you know big oils like hey guys this could you know 2016 2017 might be maybe when we start to see recovery but it could take that long and so if you're a one of the buyers or you know potential merger people in these companies why bother why bother with making a you could buy something bankruptcy action yeah you can buy something later when it's even cheaper or when it's even more distressed or maybe wait a little bit longer because you have some efficiency programs you want to get through and you're now all of a sudden starting to generate some cash from these low oil prices which we are starting to see from some players surprisingly and once that comes around you know you know that could be a, a certainly a more attractive opportunity i mean when the name apache came out what made that so attractive to a lot of people if you look at apache's assets is they are, have a very strong presence in the permian basin and you know the permian has historically been a huge oil and gas producer for us in the united states and with shale starting to take hold everyone started to say whoa i mean with all that acreage there you know somebody that has a decent position in the permian like you know chevron that could really compound that and become one of the key drivers for them po- in this in their next wave of development you know 2017 a lot of the things that they've been working on are starting to wrap up and everyone's starting to wonder what are they going to do next and somebody like apache could be a, a big lever for them to pull later on now uh, you guys may or may not be able to answer this so it's totally fine but maybe you just take a stab um at what point and you know to taylor's point he's talking about you know exxon's committed to the dividend they just want to hold on because this that, and the other thing um they also need to balance that uh, i assume with um just uh reserve declines at what point do they need to be like yeah we should probably buy one of the smaller guys just to you know up our reserves or something most of these guys are are generally like breaking even or just barely growing reserves year over year. Um, the the recapitalization is that the, the uh, yeah the um, replacement replacement rate. ratio. They generally want to keep that at like a hundred so that they're right there. Right. Um, you see it fluctuate between like ninety five to one hundred five. So some years they'll be a little less. Some years they'll be a little more. But generally they're just these companies are big enough to where they're just trying to s- stay steady, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if the price of oil, which is what they kind of base their reserves on, uh, on their balance sheets, does stay this low, then it's going to continue to decline. And, and yeah, the only way to really boost that is through acquisitions, um, because they would have to drill a heck of a lot right. to move the needle in terms of how much they're producing and, right, least, and, and selling. And at least in terms of, again, big oil, they're not in a huge rush. I mean, it... Somebody could say there's a panic because ExxonMobil doesn't completely, you know, replace its reserves in a, in a single year. They have, if not just proved, but if you look at their kind of pipeline that they have, they talk about of potential reserve. They have 90 billion barrels of potential just reserve. Just on the, on, you know, the they're world. working yeah. through that they haven't. You know, it's like it's not in our proved reserve because we haven't like dropped them into our balance sheet. But it's like we're working on 90 billion barrels of potential oil. So they're not in a huge rush in any way to go do this. And I think one of the important things that they're going to look for is not just cheap, not just, you know, grow reserves, but fit. You know, some what is going to be a company when they bring them on that is going to be a good strategic fit. You know, Royal Dutch Shell has been looking to make their purchase of BG Group because they're like, we're going to make a big splash into LNG. And so with the BG group that they're kind of pushing more towards LNG. So if you have somebody like ExxonMobil or Chevron, 
who may be making some big move in the future, they, they're going to want to find something that really fits within their development portfolio that they can not only develop but kind of combine with what they have and get a lot of cost savings and things like that. I certainly, after ExxonMobil made that XTO purchase in 2011, it took them a few years to figure it out. And I think they learned a lesson from that. Cool. Well, uh, last little thing before we go, we have a mailbag question, guys. Um, it's been a while. It has been a while. Um, and actually, on that note, uh, if you have a question or comment for Tyler or Taylor, please email us at industryfocus or Sean at com, or me. Sean a question. I, uh, you know, tweet us at TMF Energy. Yeah. Any any way you can get in communication with us, we'll find we'll find a what way was to that answer. Email your address, Sean. Industry Focus at Fulwell. Sorry, I, inter- I interrupted yeah, I was like, you. Ah, anyway, that's fine. Stop playing on your phone, Taylor. <laughs> um, so, uh, Jonathan uh, Result Rosignol. Uh, Rosignol, thank you. Um, Skier? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. 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 Um, writes, I would like to hear you guys' opinion on midstream energy limited partnerships. Do you have past experience with them? Are they too risky under the current market conditions? How reliable are the dividend yields for the long term? Um, this is particularly pertinent because those yields are like, what, 10 20% right now. <laughs> well, depending on where you look right. at in the space. I you know, it, it is a rather broad stroke question in the fact that are they risky? I think when you say that it really depends on who you're looking at. And so so who are the the risky people? Just a couple of names who are the Well, I would say I think one of the general things that you should look for when you're looking to purchase a a midstream limited partnership. I wouldn't say that it is a risky environment now. I think of all the investments you can make in the oil and gas space, that is one of the lower risk opportunities. And one of the reasons for that is that when it comes to infrastructure, most of the stuff that they do is based on um, long-term fee-based contracts. And that's the thing that you really want to look for. You know, A company that has 80 to 90% of their revenue or profits generated from these fixed fee contracts. You, you They're a toll collector. Yeah. Game over. Yeah. And you're just basically sitting there and we're, you know, buying the cash hoard. Um, for those that are a little bit more levered to prices, people who are probably more focused on gathering and processing, you might see a little bit more variability in that cash flow, which could make them a little bit shakier. And I think you can see some of the dividend yields of those companies showing that as of late. So, you know, if for Jonathan, I wouldn't completely avoid the sector as, you know, in that broad stroke sort of way. Look at the structure of the company, how do they generate their revenue and, you know, make your decision from there because I think there are a lot of opportunities in lower risk opportunities in that in that space that are very attractive right now. Uh Taylor, are there any names that come to mind that you uh you like right now? Um right now Probably the bigger the better. Kinder Morgan's <laughs> Kinder Morgan's taking a big hit lately. Um, personally, we recommend. What's the yield on that? Is it like six, seven, half, seven, seven, seven right now? Um, yeah, it took a, it took a hit over the last month or so. Um, I know it's a full favorite in a lot of services. Uh, Spectra Energy is a recommendation in in Stock Advisor Canada on our U.S. side of the scorecard. Um, that's probably one of my favorites. Um, I personally own that as well. Now they're mostly natural gas, right? Correct, and they're 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 not nationwide. There's or even in Canada, they have a, a small presence in in Canada along the Great Lakes, but predominantly East Coast all the way down to the Gulf. Um, and yeah, like you mentioned, natural gas is the bulk, and natural gas liquids are the bulk of their their business. 
Um, and then one thing, obviously, you, you want to find a, a good company, but then you have to take into account the tax implications, of the K-1 form you have to file. Um, long term, this could be advantageous because you're kind of deferring some, some taxes, but mm-hmm. when you sell it, there's tax implications on, on the units that you own. So you definitely want to kind of understand that a little bit, a little bit more. Um, well, I guess Spectre Energy isn't really an MLP, is it? They own MLPs. Neither is Kinder Morgan. Yeah, they used They're to be. both Sorry. C-Corps. We just recommended two C-Corps when talking about limited well, partnerships. I guess that gives oh, you my well. feeling on it. I guess Enterprise Products partners. Enterprise Products. Yeah, there we go. That, yeah. gives, that gives you my opinion of MLPs. <laughs> I don't personally uh, care for them all that, all that much from... Just because the added tax structure, right? Um, but there are companies like don't Spectra, be lazy, Taylor. Are, <laughs> Spectra <be> lazy. <laughs> Energy or Kinder Morgan. If you want to, if you want an infrastructure company without having to deal with uh, the MLP, K ones, yeah. Because as, as somebody who owns them, um, one of the things I would recommend is you buy to own. You don't, you know, buy, buy to trade, trade in yeah. any way because of the ca- the the weird tax things yeah. in terms of dividend recaptures and like you said the K1 if you're buying it and just holding it forever yeah you have to fill out an extra form come tax time it's not a huge not deal biggest, but, but if you're moving in and out that. of these positions no, we, it can we know. be a big it can be a pain in the butt yeah this is these are definitely things you give your grandkids kind of stuff yeah, that sort of thing. Cool. Very good. Well, thanks for your thoughts, boys. <laughs> well, maybe you can look at Spectre Energy Partners or DCP this guy. Midstream. Here you go. Just throw it. I've got to find something. Well, the, obviously, I like them if I like Spectre there because Spectre owns them both. They're Clearly. a general partner. So take a look. If you like MLPs, maybe they're worth it. <laughs> <laughs> trying to keep it together. We Don't. Love you. We just love let you, it Taylor. go. It's fine. Oh, you can't. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Well, that is it for us, folks. If you're a loyal listener and have questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Just email us at industryfocus at fool.com. Again, that is industryfocus at fool.com. As always, people in this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and they may hate filling out K-1 forms. <laughs> Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against those stocks as well. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear in this program. For Taylor Muckerman and Tyler Crow, <laughs> I'm Sean O'Reilly. Thanks for listening, and Fool on! Fool on!